Welcome to the One Up Project. Money is fuel that, that allows you to do things. It doesn't need to be taboo. What you don't want to do is wake up at 65 realising you did something you hated and have regret. Go and find people who will give you advice for nothing. This is a space for personal growth and money chat with new perspectives every Monday. This bit of content, listening to this, is going to be a small little breadcrumb of something that makes them think a little bit differently. For all the things we were never taught but should have been. At the end of the day, the most important person is yourself and if you're not happy with your own choices, then you're never going to be happy. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the One Up Project podcast. Uh, Today I want to chat about something that has been causing a lot of chat recently um, and that's the changes in the lending rules from the CCCFA which is the Credit Contracts and Consumer Finance Act for those of you who just don't know because most of you should know that surely so you may have seen some articles or even TikToks about people's mortgage or loan applications being rejected for seemingly ridiculous reasons like eating out too much or something like that. I want to talk about what's going on and how we mitigate the risk of being rejected by lenders like banks. So to do that, I've brought on Mikey Smith, mortgage advisor and friend of mine. Mikey, how are you? Very good, thank you. Good. So happy to have you here. Could you please tell us what the triple CFA is and the purpose? So this is the part I've written down because it's important. Um it says here, the amendments made to the triple CFA are to raise the standard of lenders and to better protect consumers from harmful lending practices. The The triple CFA already existed, but they did a whole lot of changes to it. And the idea behind it is to protect vulnerable borrowers. Right. Um, and as you can tell by the mainstream media and what's happening in the news, it's it feels like a little bit like they overcooked it. <laughs> yeah. So vulnerable borrowers, you're referring to people who might not have like a high level of financial literacy to understand what exactly. Yeah. So a good example would be like the the dodgy loan shark selling a car with finance mm-hmm. to someone who already has personal loans and, you know, they just see $500 a week in repayments for their new car, mm. but they don't have any understanding of how it's going to affect their life, like what that means in a month when you know, their savings or whatever is dried up. Like there's all these all these things that, that sort of define a, a vulnerable borrower. Um, and the issue is, is they've gone to sort of implement rules to stop that from happening, which is probably a good thing. Like those those things are good things. <laughs> not, <laughs> not get people into bad debt. Yeah. Um, but it's just flowed across like every industry, including the mortgage space. Yeah. So it's, we're, we're seeing it, um, sort of hold back buyers who want to get approved um, who aren't vulnerable. Yeah. Who understand, like, there's not many people that have saved up 120 grand deposit and don't understand the implications and and things to a certain level. Mm. Um, So, yeah, we're seeing it affect people in the wrong way a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But also... If you do the right things, then you can still get a loan approved. So it's it's not the end of the world, but it's just about making sure you understand everything. Mm-hmm. So these rules are essentially set up to protect us, but now, as you described it, they may have overcooked it a little bit. So why are people upset about it? Like, how have these rules been changed? Yeah, I mean, we've got some examples that I've worked on recently. You know, like, we had a client that we submitted for approval in January under the new rules, and he had a credit card that had four transactions on it only. 
So we got the last three months statements. There's four transactions. It was a flight to Queenstown, a bungee jump, a skydive, and a dinner. Mm. And when this was all sort of a little bit of a learning period for us because they just got whacked in on us in December. Yeah. So we submit it using common sense that that's obviously not an ongoing expense. And the bank comes back and says, hey, can you get the client to confirm that this isn't regular? I mean, the guy lives in Auckland and he's buying in Auckland. And it's a skydive mm. and a bungee jump. Like anyone would look at that and think that's not an ongoing expense, but that's not how it works now. Mm. So you have to clarify when you submit a loan application that those kind of things are one-offs. And we can get them removed from the loan application, but it's really important that it's explained like there is no common sense involved. How are you supposed to prove that something isn't a one-off like that? Well, you can... or is it no, you, yeah, you have the, you have the conversation with the client, and you say, "Do you bungee jump and skydive every week?" <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's why that like as mortgage brokers, we feel a bit weird yeah. asking those questions because it's like it's kind of like how dumb are you? <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, we just have to clarify it, and the, and you know that's a an extreme example, um, and the ones that are getting pulled up regularly are like, okay, there's there's three Uber Eats things on your week and a standard grocery bill is that part of your lifestyle going forward type mm, thing mm. and those are the ones that we're really where people are getting caught out because if you're spending 150 dollars a week on uber eats on top of your groceries bill um and that's consistent in like three months bank statements that's mm. where it where that's where it gets added in even though as a client you know you can stop doing uber eats mm. um but that's basically not acceptable anymore so they'll add in that $150 and basically add it onto your expenses and in turn it means you can borrow less. Um, so it's just about understanding um, how to present it and what can be ta- put in and taken out. Okay. Um, but it makes it very difficult for someone to walk into a branch and say, hey, can you get me a loan approved? <laughs> Absolutely. Do you know <coughs> why they've made these changes? I mean, to protect vulnerable borrowers is the purpose of having these rules at the start, but was it explained to the finance industry, personal finance industry, why they've made it stricter? Um, we knew it was coming. We knew it was going to be, there were going to be changes and more sort of forensic searching through bank statements of, of clients' financials and things like that, but we didn't realise it would be down to the dollar and cent um, mm. and... Yeah, I mean, when we do a loan application, a really important part of it is uh, what's called a diary note, and it's basically the client of the character. Um, and they used to be one paragraph, and now they're three or four. And that's just explaining the whole loan application, Ooh. all of the mitigations to whatever it is, Uber Eats or Kmart bills. or. <laughs> so do these <coughs> rules only affect people wanting a home loan? Or is it the same for every loan? Yeah, no, I've got some friends in the car sales industry and stuff like that. And they've been hit really hard because financing a car has got difficult. So it sounds like it's affecting all lending platforms, not just big banks, asset finance, all sorts. So it does seem to be spread across. But whenever something happens like this, like new regulation, uh, whenever it comes in, especially in finance, it, it normally does what's happening now, causes a whole lot of stir. And then everyone learns how to... Manage it. Manage it and deal with it. And we, we go through a lull period sort of thing. And then once everyone understands it, it bounces back. Um, a few years ago in Australia, they had a thing called the Royal Commission, which was similar type stuff. 
um, and talking to lenders and mortgage brokers and stuff over there, I know that it's sort of bounced back and come right. So mm. I'm hoping for the same here. I'd I would like to see. Um, I mean, I would like to see some of the some of the rules maybe eased a little bit, just because the way that it is, there's it, it, there's zero trust in a in a borrower now. If if your interest rate goes up on your mortgage and your and your repayment the next week comes in higher, you're not going to sell your house. Like you'll work out how to pay it, mm. um, and that's always been the case. In like in New Zealand, we have a super low low default rate, um, and I mean I think it was ANZ said that they've at the moment they've got one of their lowest default rates of all time. So it's kind of fixing something that wasn't broken. Mm. Um, like people <coughs> defaulting on their loan. Yeah, yeah, like that doesn't happen that often. Of course it happens, but it happens in any any market condition. If something goes wrong, it's but it's a minority, you know, like it's mm. under 1%, it's like 0.5 or something. Mm. Um, so it's kind of, it feels like it's fixing something that isn't broken, but, you know, we just got to make sure people are educated when we do a loan application. Like it's a really big talking point now in a meeting with someone if we sit down for an hour. Yeah. Um, explaining it in, in really good detail so they understand like how we need the loan application to look mm. for them to get approved. That's a massive part of it. So it sounds like we shouldn't really be that stressed about it. Um, if you've got a good broker, yeah. Mm. Yeah, like <clears throat> I think in a worst case scenario – you should, if you talk to a broker who really understands it and is good at their job, um, in a worst case scenario, you should only have to, you might not get the loan straight away, but if you follow what they say and explain to you for three months, you should get it then. Um, so, but a delayed gratification. <laughs> right, so just a few more hoops to jump through. Yeah, you know, like you might sit down with a broker and, you know, you might want 700 grand, you've got a 100K deposit and they'll say to you, look, as it stands right now, these expenses here are causing an issue. Mm. These are obviously ones that you can reduce. So if you can go away and, and do this, this, and this for three months, we go back, we'll go back and get this approved for sure. Mm-hmm. When I sit down with someone now, it's like, can we get approved now? Yes or no? If it's a no, what can we do to get you approved in the future? And what's the time frame around that? It's kind of always been like that, but now um, it's just a bit more of a detailed discussion and making sure that, they understand exactly what needs to change. Okay. That's quite reassuring to hear because I feel like when I'm reading um, the latest Stuff or Herald article, it's made out like if I have one transaction at McDonald's, it's going to affect. Yeah, there's a bit of fear thrown in there, but that's how they get people to click on it, right? Exactly. So, exactly. <coughs> yeah, it's, uh, um, I've, I've had clients, I don't read too much of that stuff because half of it's bullshit, but um, I've, I've had clients send me certain articles like oh is this going to affect my pre-approval Will they take it off me and when I read them like some of the stuff that they're saying is affecting the loan applications that would have also affected it before these rules were in place so they're mm. kind of bringing up stuff that's not not real and a lot of the other stuff is if you've had a good conversation with your mortgage broker and they understand the situation they can probably mitigate it out of the loan application anyway mm. um, like the one that Everyone sent me was something about Kmart for $147, you know. Mm. And I don't know the details of that loan application, but something like that, if you're buying a couple of lamps and a bedside table, that's a one-off expense and that can be taken out. Yeah. You know, so I feel like there's probably more reasons behind why that loan app would have got declined. Yeah, um, yeah. 
So, yeah, you've got to be careful what you read. <laughs> yeah, it just shows the importance of having a good broker, I suppose. And so what are some general best practices for people trying to clean up their accounts to purchase a property with these kind of new regulations in mind? Yep, so one of the real common ones we see now are things like Afterpay. Yeah. Because there's zero interest and it sounds like a good deal and everything, but they're going to get loaded into your loan application as an expense because the way they get viewed is, yes, the client knows it's interest-free and they can do it over payments of a few weeks, but to the to the lenders, that can look like a way that you need to have your lifestyle. Right. So it shows that you can't save up the four payments before buying something in a way, if yep. you know what I mean. Totally. Um, things like Interesting. that. Yeah. Because I think I sp- I've <laughs> spoken to a couple of other brokers before about Afterpay and it always seems like it's one of those things that it wouldn't really affect it necessarily, but it seems like it is something that would affect it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's in a way, it's kind of like having a credit card. You've got a $10,000 limit. Yeah. Um, and maybe you, you rinse three grand, but you pay it off every month. Mm. So you never pay any interest or anything. But you've also... Uh, you've also got that limit there of $10,000, and the bank knows that. And they, you know, they... They look at it and go, okay, that could be rinsed to $10,000 and might not be able to re- be repaid back. So we've got to mitigate that risk and, and mm. add in a certain percentage for repayments if that happens. Mm. So they take all of that into consideration and all of these little things add up to reducing how much you can borrow. Interesting. Yeah. <coughs> well, I guess at the end of the day, it's something that I think people haven't made the connection with when it comes to buy now, pay later schemes is that they are debt. Like you're still borrowing money to purchase something because yeah. you can't afford it yeah I mean personally I really like their business model I think it's impressive (laughs) Um, I don't use it but I'm like you just have to look at it and be like yes it's interest free and you can delay your payments but why did like Afterpay for example just sold like Jack Dorsey just bought it for like 28 billion or something yeah so like why is there they're making money and it's because you miss a payment yeah you miss a payment and the fees are massive and (laughs) yeah so like there's there's a reason there why that stuff's invented and it's not to um it's not to improve your wealth you know exactly right exactly right and it's just important to be aware of that for sure all of those all of those buy now pay laters um like interest free for 12 month cue cards and stuff like that yeah like when you take a first glance of them, it can make sense to go and buy, you know, a new couch and a TV on a zero interest repayment thing for 12 months. But the the problem is, is that the the back end of it, when you get to 12 months, if that's not paid off, the fees and stuff that kick in exactly. and the penalties are huge. And that probably looks even worse on a loan application. Terrible. Like, yeah. so basically we, when we collect all of this stuff, we sort of have to consider it in worst case scenario, right? Um, so you've got to, you know, and it, and it and it's it's crap because some people go and pay it off within the twelve months. Most people do, but because there is massive penalties and because there is an option to not finish it in the twelve months and get waxed for twenty five percent, it has to be looked at in that view. Um, yeah. So it just holds loans back. Yeah. Uh, and something else I just wanted to clarify is that when we refer to lenders, we're referring to banks and people who give you the money and borrowers are the people who are borrowing the money to pay back. So are there any other general best practices that we should be following? I mean, I suppose with Afterpay, just being wary of that, 
is that the same with <coughs> other kind of yeah so one of my pitches? one of my favorite basic calculations for people to do um, is replicate your mortgage mm-hmm. so if you want an $800,000 mortgage and you know that the repayments are going to be $900 per week and right now your rent is $500 per week mm-hmm. and you know you might have your KiwiSaver and stuff like that ready to go with your deposit and everything so it looks like you've passed all the rules. But if you're rinsing your paycheck and you're going back to only having an expense of $500 a week in rent, it's not going to look right. So if you've got your rent of $500 a week, but the mortgage repayment you want is 900, you want to be saving that 400 to show the bank that you can cover right. the mortgage repayment that's going to be in, yep. in real life once you buy something. And that's like one of the most simple, just easy to understand ways of doing things. You know, like if you're above that mortgage repayment in terms of rent and savings, mm. most of the time you're going to be in the clear. Okay. Um, and how long before we apply for the loan should we be doing that? Like a year, six months? I mean, it's good practice for life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you can if you can live like that, you'll be surprised how much better life gets anyway once you're stacking a bit of cash. But if you're in a position where you know you can, af- can afford it, regardless of whether you're doing that or not, you really want to be showing it on your bank statements for a minimum of three months, but preferably six. Right, okay. Yeah. How far back do the banks check your statements? Um, it's a little bit of a variable now, but basically three months. Okay. And that's that's um, that's where the detailed breakdown of expenses comes from, the three yeah. months. There are times when I look through them and we've got, like you know, especially under these new rules with these, if someone's got one-off expenses and stuff, sometimes I'll ask for six or even 12 Mm. and then show that to the bank and say, hey, look, here's an example of the whole 12-month period. Mm. You can see that this was, you know, it happens a lot at Christmas time. Everyone goes away, runs in the Bay of Islands, spending money at pubs and cafes, and um, it, it looks bad when you come back in January and you've got, like, <laughs> this crazy month and the, the savings balance has gone down and stuff like that, but it, right. we can mitigate it out by showing more. So it depends on the on the loan application and the client, but, yeah, basically – Three solid months is going to get you across the line. So what I'm hearing is best to apply for a loan pre-Christmas holidays. Yeah, <laughs> it seems to be easier. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's just a, it's just a matter of um, making sure, like just like the the um, skydive and the bungee jump, like yeah. you just got to tell the bank that, you know, this is a Christmas time thing and it's a one-off and it won't be happening again. Yeah, and going to a broker, can they help us say we're a year out from potentially applying for a loan, can they help us analyse our accounts and decide how we should be like setting them up going forward? Yeah, 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 I love doing that. So sitting down with someone who isn't buying a house right now, mm-hmm. um, but they're like, I want to do it in six months or 12 months or whenever the time frame is, and then I can sit with them and go, in your scenario right now, this is what you can afford, but these changes here, if you do this for 12 months, your savings will be here, your expense is going to look like this, and you'll be able to borrow this. Mm. And that's gold, because when they come to me three months out from mm. purchasing their house, like it's so easy for them. Yeah. Um, especially if they've followed what we talked about. Yeah. And it just makes it so much easier. It's a far less stressful process. Um, they mm. they walk around with confidence and know that everything's going to happen and just falls into place. Yeah, I think it's a really important <coughs> thing for people to understand that you know a broker isn't there to just help you 
at the time of applying for the loan and that's it? Yeah, well, like we get the the incentive structure behind it is funny. Like we get paid um, a commission by the bank when the loan settles. Mm-hmm. So we're, we want that to happen for you. Mm. Like we're incentivized because that's how we run our businesses. Um, and there's there's no value in just saying, nah, we can't do it. Mm. Like we want you to go away, sort everything out that we talk about um, and then come back and then help you get through it at the end so we get a paycheck, you know. Mm. I think people don't really understand that. Like we get rushed all the time with people being like, oh, I want to go to an auction next week. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's let's try. But there's a lot of uh, advice that goes into this process. So we've got to go through mm. everything, you know, and make sure that it's going to work and it's going to suit your goals and needs and mm. not send you broke. <laughs> How long does it usually take, like the loan application process take from deciding you want to buy a house to yep. getting it approved? It's a, it's a, um, like we're pretty efficient. Like we, I'll have a meeting with someone, um, collect documents, and once the client sent us documents, we'll be able to get the loan application most of the time off to the bank in the same day. Oh wow! Um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, I've got three staff. Yeah. So. Dependent on resource kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it depends how busy you are and stuff like that. But basically, once we collect everything, we've had our client meetings, yeah, bank same day. Generally speaking, I mean, under these new rules, the banks have been a little bit slower, but they're, they're coming back now. So between four and ten days, if it gets bad, when you've got your approval. So you mm. should be you should be seriously shopping in a, in a week or two. Yeah. So how does this impact first-home buyers versus those who are already on the ladder? Yeah, that's where a fair bit of the complaints are coming from, right? Because mm. um, it only affects people that don't have a mortgage already. Yeah. You know, if you if you bought your house two years ago or a year ago, before these rules came into place, you were under a less sort of stringent analysis to get your loan yeah. and you've got it and now you're just paying the mortgage and mm. you're in your home. So um, it's definitely like a a, a lot more technical now to get a loan approved so basically the people who want to buy a house now versus a year ago or two years ago they're well obviously they're more expensive to start with so loan sizes are a bit bigger interest rates are going up instead of down um, mm. and then these new rules that you have to make sure um, you have a reasonable understanding of and you can get your head around to get approved so it's a it's a there's a bit of red tape and stuff going on it feels overwhelming yeah yeah part of my job is counseling yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I sit down with people and it's, you know, generally an hour or so and half of it's about loan and half of it's about managing emotion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not surprised at all. Like it it feels like there's so much to go through and yeah, that you're bringing up about your own life. Yeah, well. a lot of it a lot of it um we can do behind the scenes and yeah. and um especially the technical stuff to get it presented to the bank correctly. Like I sit down with you and say, this is what I need, here's why. Mm. Um, but then the actual work comes from from us. So it's for the client, like I like to make sure they're educated, understand what's going on, mm. uh, the correct advice around what they're doing has been provided and then make all of their problems go away. Mm. So it's... It's a really steep learning curve if you don't have someone like that on your team. Yeah. Because there's a shit ton of things to understand and learn. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's overwhelming if, if you get the wrong person helping you, but mm. it should be pretty simple still. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And so if you are already on the ladder, is this going to affect you if you want to buy another house? Yeah. So how does that work? Is it easier? Is it harder? Is it the same? <coughs> that one is an interesting one because it's actually hurting want-to-be investors a bit more than people buying owner-occupied homes. Okay. We've had a whole lot of things happen to investors outside of the triple CFA as well. Um, you know, like the tax rules on, on interest that the government put in place. Um, some of the banks are implementing debt-to-income ratios, so you can only borrow a certain amount no matter how good you are with your you know expenses oh, and things okay. like that and that's based on how much you earn yeah so there's there's a whole lot of variables there and basically yeah investors are struggling to get approved more right uh, the difference between like a year ago and now is more for investors than it is for people who want to buy an own occupier okay and so is that a similar situation to um what we we're talking about before in terms of having a good broker is what's going to potentially be the difference there between you being overwhelmed that you can't keep up with all of these changes and hoops to jump through or is yeah. that a bit yeah yeah and and investors in general like especially people who are reasonably seasoned and might have two or three um it's funny talking with them because they're like what why? Why this? Why that? And I'm like, sorry, it's uh, yeah. it's how we have to roll now, you know. Like it's there's been some big changes for you guys, um, but yeah, hoops to jump through. Like as long as as long as it's just the same as dealing with anyone. It's making sure they understand and can be explained to clearly, then they'll be fine. Um, but the the investment side of it is has been more limited. Yeah. How can we? best manage the new rules when saving a deposit or applying for a loan outside of having a good team or a good broker? I mean, yeah, my favourite one is still is that affordability calculation, rent plus savings equals mortgage repayment. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, it's just being, like everyone, <laughs> inside if you think about it, you know what to do. You know you shouldn't do afterpay. You know you shouldn't smash Uber Eats constantly. <laughs> like you kind of know these things, but it's more about being disciplined and actually putting them into action. Yeah. Um, and the rest of it is really simple. It's just a matter of making sure that, and one thing that's really important is be honest with your mortgage broker. Tell your mortgage right. broker everything because yeah. he's on your side. You're not dealing directly with the bank. You're dealing with the mortgage broker. So he's got, or he or she has got all information up front and we can go through it and then explain what, what possibly needs to change, what we can take in or, put, or take out. Um, mm. So yeah, that's an important one. Yeah, so important yeah. to shop around for the right person, I suppose, to help you in that sense. Yeah, I'd probably put more effort into that. Yeah. Yeah, get someone who, you know, try and find someone who's been referred to you or got a lot of Google reviews or something like that. Yeah. We've spoken about it a little bit, but, you know, there's a lot of frustration that can come with this process and also can come with just saving for a home in general. How would you advise that people manage that and the increasing difficulty of everything that's going on? Yeah, it's, I mean... I'm always, I've always been like a pretty big proponent of like just like block out the noise, go hard. Mm. Um, but it's definitely getting to the point now where it's like, wow, the deposit requirements are, you know, X and it takes a long time to save that. Yeah. There's no secret, like saving money right now sucks with inflation and, mm. um, but it's, if, if you've just got to weigh up like the, the, uh, how much you want a house. Like mm. if you want a house, there's, that's a different road you have to go down to not wanting a house. Yeah. Um, and you can live it up if you don't want a house. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, there's no time limit on this thing. Like, I think people think, 
okay, well, I need to save this deposit, which is so overwhelming, and I need to do it within five years. But it's like, why do you need to do it within five years, you know? I mean, I think it's good to have, like, targets and goals and things. Mm. But life life changes along the way too, you know? It seems like, you know, if we are able to have a good broker and kind of set ourselves up well in the sense of proving that we can afford our mortgage, that we should be pretty sweet, really. It's literally... That simple, but really complicated. Yeah, <laughs> which is why we have the broker to help yeah, us. Yeah, so it is, honestly, like the ones that we talk to and then they go away for three months and then we come back and, we've, and they've sorted the stuff, they're the easiest loan applications in the world. Mm. And like I look at them and I'm like, congratulations, this is going <laughs> to get approved. Yeah. You know, you've done the right thing. Um, so, and that's a cool feeling because, you know, you gave some advice, they they did what you say and they come back and they get their home. And then, I mean, the next part is, you know, tr- trying not to have a 30-year mortgage mm. once, once you've got it and then making sure you set yourself up the right way for that. But, yeah, it's uh, pretty simple, just complicated. Mm. Can a broker help you with that post-home? Yeah, I mean, that's, like, one of the, <laughs> the most important parts is, like, when, when you've been approved, congratulations, pop some champagne, buy a house, and then just before... Um, the move-in day, we, we do what's called a loan structure meeting. And that's mm-hmm. where we go back to the goals and things that we talked about in the initial meeting, bring them up again and go, right, how are we going to structure this loan Yeah. so it matches up with what you want to do here? Yeah. Do you want to go back to having some more Uber Eats in six months? So do we want to keep the repayments really cheap or are you keen to just smash this mortgage down? Like, are you travelling mm-hmm. in two years? So we've got to allow for that for savings. And those are, are all another part of the conversation. And... Generally speaking, if they've taken your advice to get the approval in the first place, that's really valuable to them. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, mortgage settles, you move in, life's good. Amazing. Mm. Well, thank you so much for jumping on, Mikey. Always that's appreciate right. your time. Very helpful. Very welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The One Up Project. If you want to find more stuff just like this, check out our other apps or follow us at The One Up Project on Instagram or TikTok. See you there. Just a quick disclaimer that the One Up Project is an educational platform that provides information that is general in nature. There may be opinions or an individual's experience within this resource that should not be considered as recommendations or personal advice. Everyone's financial situation is so different and you must use the information within this resource at your own risk. Please complete your own due diligence before making any decisions based on the information in this resource. I'm not a financial advisor and if you require expert advice, then please seek advice from a professional.